So, for hundreds of years, Christians around the world have used the four weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare for the celebration of Jesus' birth. We call that Advent. Now, it's weird that we have this tradition of counting down to Jesus' birth when no one really did that at the actual event. Like, no one was expecting a Savior to be born on that night in Bethlehem. So, why do we practice Advent? Well, it's because the anticipation of counting down to the birth of Jesus in a way, it kind of prepares us, our hearts, in some ways for his second coming. So this is why, for centuries, Christians have meditated on hope, peace, joy, and love. And today, we're talking about joy. Okay, so when was the last time you were super happy? Like, so happy that you couldn't put words to your emotions? I mean, there's so many words for joy in our dictionary because, well, there's so many versions of happiness. For example, some form of happiness lasts for just a few minutes. Like, when you find out that you got a green light at an intersection that's notorious for long red lights. And other forms of happiness, well, it lasts for days. Like, that time when you took your final college exam and you realized that you never, ever have to take a written exam in school ever again. So, we could all attest to the idea that there are different variations of happiness. Like, when you compare the happiness you experience when your favorite team wins the World Series or the Super Bowl versus someone who looks into the midnight sky and sees all the beautiful stars, then realize how small you are in the vast universe. So yeah, you probably know what I'm talking about, but you've experienced happiness and you realize that some forms of happiness is deeper than others and you can't put into words why they're so different. Yeah, in the Bible, we find character after character who express their happiness in various ways. For example, in Psalm 65, the poet finds joy in his surroundings. There's a growing flock of sheep and an amazing harvest around him and he's trying to put into words the blessing he's received from God. In another poem, the poet observes and concludes that a good bottle of wine must be a gift from God because it, quote, gladdens people's hearts. And that word for gladden in the, in, in the Hebrew is the word rejoice. In other examples, people find joy at weddings and in their children. And in Proverbs 27, perfume brings joy to the nose in the same way that a good friend brings joy to your heart. So throughout the Bible, numerous authors paint a picture for us of the many kinds of joy that are waiting to be discovered all around us. Like for you, if you were walking in the park on a warm sunny day and you felt the breeze and looked up and saw the perfect white clouds and you're reminded of how good God is for giving you moments like these, or maybe you just had your first meal with a friend you haven't seen since the pandemic and as you begin sharing all the things that you missed and learned during the quarantine and as you talk about the deep penetrating emotions you experienced in the last year, you realize this is exactly where you want to be in this moment in your life. So as you can see, there's varying levels of joy that God wants you to experience. But what if you're not in that state right now? What if everything around you is falling apart? Like you're walking in the park and you don't feel the breeze. You look up and, and you all you see is smog. You walk in the park and you trip over an ugly root that's sticking out and now you realize you have ants crawling all over your legs. What if you lost a friend during the pandemic? I mean, what does the Bible say about joy in those moments? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say, a lot of interesting things to say about experiencing joy in unfortunate circumstances. So for the remainder of the message, I wanna talk about three things. First, what does the Bible say about joy in the midst of darkness? Then I wanna talk about how joy is a central part of the Christmas story. And finally, how can we experience joy in the valleys of our lives? So first, let's talk about what does the Bible say about joy in the midst of darkness. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but the majority of the Bible is about oppression. Throughout its history, Israel, which is the main stage in which the Bible takes place, and its people have been overtaken by barbaric empires, like first the Egyptians, the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, the Persians, Greeks, and Romans, just to name a few. And get this, most of the joy passages we find in the Bible were written in the gloomy, unjust times when they were oppressed by these nations. So here's an important thing to remember about joy when it comes to the Bible. Joy is an attitude God's people chose, not because of the good circumstances they find themselves in, but because of their hope in God. Okay, I get it. I know that sounds like a bunch of religious jargon. So let me elaborate on this point. The ancient followers of God held to this idea of joy in the desert. Now, this doesn't mean that the people living in the desert love the sand and the lack of water. No, no, no. When we read the story of the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years, they sang rejoicing about where God was taking them and how God was protecting them and how they, God was feeding them and how God was guiding them. They don't love the circumstance they're in, but they were rejoicing over the fact that God had not given up on them. I mean, even though they were in a cruddy place, they were rejoicing that God was with them in that cruddy place. Like they found joy in knowing that God would not leave them. Okay, so here's another example. See, when Israel was being bullied by the empires and the nations around them, they found joy when they realized that God promised to send a Messiah or a king that one day will set them free. I mean, they're still in that dark place, but they found joy knowing that their oppression will not last forever. So in these two examples of a future king that's going to come at an undisclosed time and knowing that God is with them at all times, these two promises were the foundations of their joy. And the darker their circumstances got, the more they held onto these two promises. So what does joy have to do with the Christmas story? Well, the day Jesus was born is when these two promises came together. Here, let's take a look at the Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So you know that story about God's people being in the desert, finding joy because they knew that God was with them at all times? Well, that joy is found in this story because God came to be with humanity in a form of a baby. And you know that other story when people found joy in knowing that God would send a Messiah to set everyone free from the oppression of sin? Well, that joy in this story came in the form of a baby. So yeah, this is why the angel said to the shepherds that the birth of Jesus will cause great joy for all people. Because in that manger is proof that God is with us. You aren't alone. Oh, and just so I'm clear and don't misguide you, biblical joy does not ignore or suppress sorrow. That's not healthy and it's not necessary. You see, what we find in the Bible are people who experience grief, they're crying out in pain, they're imprisoned and tortured, and yet they find joy by looking to Jesus. So for example, we see one of the first Christian leaders, Paul, and he mentions this weird phenomenon that he's been experiencing when he says that people who look to Jesus hold on to two opposing states at the same time, like being unknown by the world but being known by God, or having a bad reputation from the world but having a good reputation with God, being beaten but not killed, being poor and rich at the same time, having nothing but possessing everything. And in the middle of all these seemingly contradictory things, he says, that he is experiencing sorrow, yet always rejoicing. Okay, so this leads us to the final point, which is how do we achieve this kind of joy? Well, Paul seems to give us indication as to how he does it, like how he finds joy in the midst of sorrow. Now remember, Paul, this guy, 
He was at the top of the most wanted list in both the Jewish circle and the Roman Empire. He spent a lot of his time on the run or in prison or in some cases in the deepest layers of prison. And in one of the letters that he writes to a church community, which he wrote while he was in prison, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? This letter was written to a community of Christians in a place called Philippi. And Philippi was a major city where retired Roman soldiers lived and they gave their allegiance to their king, the Caesar. And the biggest threat to Caesar was anyone who claimed to be a higher power than him. So as you can guess, the Christian community in Philippi was a threat to the Roman Empire because they worshiped Jesus, who claimed to be the Lord of Lords king of kings. So these Philippian Christians were continually bullied by the ex-soldiers living in their vicinity. And in the midst of all that, Paul writes a letter to them saying, you need to rejoice or just have joy. Well, that seems a little hard, Paul, don't you think? So how do we do this? Well, he continues, the Lord is near. We'll come back to that in a second. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here, Paul is saying, hey, everybody, we need to rejoice. Well, Paul, how are we supposed to do that while getting beat down? Well, according to Paul, who has been tortured many, many times, he says you do that through thanksgiving or gratitude. He said that when you request things to God, like a reasonable request in this situation would be like, help me, my life is about to end. Paul says, when you pray that, don't just request it. Request it with gratitude. And if you do that, you'll find joy that can coexist with your sorrow. I mean, you could cry out to God and ask him for whatever you need, but if you're particularly looking for that joy, then you need to pray that with thanksgiving. In other words, gratitude is a gateway to joy. So let's just say you're having a really bad day and you don't feel joy in your life at all. Paul says, find something to be grateful for. So you think about it for a few minutes and you realize that you're grateful that you have a loving family or you're thankful that you have a job. Or if you can't think of anything, uh, go to the most basic things like, I'm thankful that I can breathe, or I'm thankful that the stars are bright shining tonight, or I'm thankful that I have a meal. Well, what if you're not in that state to be thankful or you can't think of anything that you're thankful for? Well, Paul gives us this simple exercise on how to build a thankful heart. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you're probably thinking, man, when life really hurts, how can anybody find gratitude? When nothing is going your way, when you are constantly being knocked down, how do I find something to be appreciative of? I mean, what if there is nothing in your life that is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, or praiseworthy? How am I supposed to be thankful? Well, in that verse that we just read, Paul tells us how he cultivates gratitude in life when nothing is going his way. He says that his source of gratitude when he can't find anything good in his life is the same source as the poets of the Old Testament. He said that for him, what he clings onto is this, that the Lord is near. So if you're into journaling, jot down the things that you're thankful for. Or you could do what my wife does before dinner. She asks everybody at the table what we want to thank God for. This is her way of developing a heart of joy in our kids. Or just talk to yourself in the car. Ask yourself while you're driving, hey, Kotz, what are you thankful for? Well, Kotz, I'm thankful for, and start naming things that you see around you. I'm thankful for that person who's singing in his car because obviously his favorite song is playing on the radio right now. Just find whatever you can see around you and be thankful for that. And if nothing works, do what Paul says to do. Just be thankful that you know that God is with you. 
Oh, by the way, if gratitude is a source of joy, then what do you think is the thing that robs us of joy? It's entitlement. When you feel that you are owed things, then you are no longer grateful for the things around you. I mean, you're grumpy and angry when you don't have enough, and when you have enough, you aren't grateful at all. Anyways, the bottom line here is that whenever you are running low on your gratitude, always go to what Paul goes to first, which is that God is near, He is with us, and that He loves us, and He will never abandon us. You are never alone. And that should help develop joy in your life. And that joy was realized on that first Christmas when Jesus was born. So church, may you develop a discipline of practicing gratitude so you can be overflowing with joy. And may the joy that is created in you develop a peace that surpasses all understanding. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.